Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, we're talking Amazon getting a new studio home. Has Jimmy Carr raised the specter of streamer regulation? Uh, Also on the program, how should program makers address the climate crisis? The director of sustainable certifiers, Albert, uh, Karis Taylor, explains their new mission. And in the Media Quiz, we discover who's holding whom to ransom. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. This week, we've seen clips of Jimmy Carr across social media as people debate whether the subjects of his jokes are no laughing matter, whilst Ofcom's chief exec Melanie Dawes says she's up for regulating the streamers. There's also been ITV's post-Brit hangover as the live show falls, just like Anne-Marie, to its lowest ratings ever, 2.7 million. Uh, That got beaten by the BBC's new drama, This Is Going To Hurt. Not hurting is commercial radio who've announced their highest ever revenue. The sector generated 780. £18 million last year, with a big jump in digital spending. Online, however, is still causing the government some trouble as they announce they're having another go at making websites that include pornographic material confirm that its users are over 18, as well as obvious sites like Pornhub and NewPorn. I'm reading that from the script here. Uh, Twitter and Reddit may also be in their crosshairs too. Uh, Speaking of which, this is also the week that Bloomberg News accidentally published the headline, Russia invades Ukraine, literally just jumping the gun. Well, at the time of recording. Uh, But joining me today to cover more of the news that matters to our industry, it's a welcome return after many moons to media commentator and writer Kate Bulkley. Nice to be here. Um, I say welcome back, probably in the sort of loosest sense, as you're you're currently in the States. Um, Last week, we were talking about Jeff Zucker's departure from CNN. Any idea how the CNN staff are taking it all after sort of a week? Well, I think that's an interesting story. I think the the broader implications beyond the affair he was having and when it when he should have alerted uh, Warner Media to it is really what it means for CNN going forward. The potential is that of course we have someone new, not Jeff Zucker, because uh, there is some rumors that uh, David Zaslav who runs Discovery might actually rehire him, but I think that's probably a difficult one. So the next thing is you know who will take over the reins of CNN at this very critical time and pivotal time when they're launching CNN Plus. Um, obviously, they're trying to figure out what they're going to be next under Zucker. It was it was a much flashier network. It was a much more not shrill, but certainly opinionated network. It was it was not the CNN. I worked at CNN years ago. It was not the CNN of Ted Turner and and Walter Isaacson and that CNN. Uh, and he did it uh, for a very a good reason. Uh, basically, he saw that Fox News was a huge competitive threat as well as MSNBC, 
and he realized he had to make CNN stand out. And so that's really been Zucker's legacy. It's a company that makes money now, uh, which is hard to do in news, as we all know. So, so I think, you know, the implications, the broader implications are what's next for CNN. That is the big thing, isn't it? It's because um, the, the rumours are it's just going to be sort of left with a sort of rotating three sort of super heads uh, in between. But Discovery will sort of remake it and choose their own leadership uh, when they take over. And I think they've just had some approvals through this week, haven't they, from, from the US government as well that suggests that process is marching on. Yes. I mean, it's going to be very interesting in terms of how CNN rebrands itself, moves into the next stage with CNN Plus, which of course is an interesting thing because as you know, CNN Plus is going to have a lot of factual type programming on it that isn't, that are sort of news-ish, but, you know, is more, you know what I mean, factual entertainment type stuff. And that is something that Discovery knows a lot about, plus what's going to happen with, you know, Eurosport and BT now. I mean, there's a whole bunch of questions. So that's, it's all up for grabs, I'd say. And also joining me is the entertainment director of Heat Magazine, Boyd Hilton. Hi, Boyd. Hi, Matt. Um, now, I've just been reading on Twitter that you seem to be mourning the loss of a, of a print magazine. Entertainment Weekly yes. has, has gone yes. to the, the, the great magazine stand in the sky. Is this bad news? Yeah, I think it's really terrible news, actually. Um, if, you, if, if you like magazines, as I do, you know, um, I'm privileged to work on a weekly magazine. And when it started, was a, you know, it was partly an attempt to do a kind of Entertainment Weekly um, magazine. I loved Entertainment Weekly back, you know, in its, I think it was pretty decent right right till up till now. They're turning into a digital-only brand. But, you know, it, at its height, it had brilliant writers, brilliant critics, TV and film critics, and, you know, covered all areas of entertainment. It would get incredible exclusives, incredible access. I posted the cover they did, a Seinfeld cover they did one time, um, which was fantastic. So it was just a great, great if, you know, if you're into entertainment, as obviously I am, and the entertainment director of Heat, um, then it was um, wonderful, wonderful resource as well. So I'm really sad about it, yeah. And I think um, everyone should go out and buy magazines from news agents that they love because we need to. Because I think print, you know, I think I don't think print will die, but you know, it's definitely um, plateauing and in many ways declining. But I think there are still examples of, you know, it still could be a luxury item, a, a, a printed magazine, a glossy printed magazine. I still love them and hope everyone carries on buying them. I mean, you're obviously exposed to lots of magazine thinking um, at, at Bauer. Do younger audiences look at it differently to older audiences or is it just something suit that that media type now better than better than others? I think there is a question as to whether young people, how often young people go into, you know, news agents and supermarkets. Supermarkets are now, you know, where there's magazine racks in most supermarkets and that's a huge area of certainly our, our sales and other weekly, certainly weekly magazine sales, I think. Um, but I still believe that once, you know, once young people grow older and they see, you know, there are fascinating, well-written, well-researched, informative magazines out there that are different to newspapers, you know, for all the reasons, uh, obvious reasons, in terms of frequency and in depth that magazines can cover stories, that they'll still carry on buying them. So I don't think magazines will ever die. It's kind of like, you know, everyone predicted the, the death of films and TV, you know, mm, for, mm. and all sorts of things. I think I think they'll carry on. Books, of course, books are now selling, I believe, <laughs> really well. Back again, vinyl, you know, it's all stuff that people <laughs> will sound the death knell for, but actually people still love a great magazine, thank God. Yeah, but the the business model's completely changed, right, Boyd? I mean, yeah. that's, the, that's the point. I mean, Yes, yeah. you're still going to have a magazine that's a wonderful, glossy, 
magazine, but it's certainly not the same business model. You know, you're not going to be able to do the frequency. You're not going to be able to get the advertising for it. It's a very different thing. So I think that's what's interesting about magazines. How does it, what's the future going forward and what is the business model and how does it fit into the digital business model, which is obviously going to be the driving business model. So news that Amazon have bagged a multi-million pound deal with Shepperton Studios to produce series and movies there, according to The Guardian. Um, Boyd, it looks like a sort of 10-year deal for Amazon. Um, I mean, what does it mean for the industry that they're kind of getting into the studios business? I think it's great news because, you know, Netflix already has a deal with um, Pinewood, I think. Um, And, you know, this is the booming area of the creative industry is TV. It's extraordinary. The number, the sheer number of mostly scripted dramas, comedies that the streamers are commissioning and producing and creating and airing more and more hundreds per year. And I know it feels it's getting a bit ridiculous and um, everyone's assuming that bubble will burst at some point. And, you know, certainly Netflix had problems recently with its, you know, disappointing figures, I think, there. But they've still got, you know, hundreds of millions of subscribers around the world. So they're doing OK. And I know, you know, they need to make money um, properly um, at some point. Prime Video, of course, different because, you know, Amazon is owned by one of the richest people in the world. Um, so I don't think they have such, um, they don't, I don't think they care that much about making a profit. And they are investing hundreds of millions into shows like Lord of the Rings. Everyone's assuming Lord of the Rings will be filmed at this studio. So yeah, Lord of the Rings was, uh, series one is sort of in, in the bag and that was filmed in New Zealand. Well, I think the location shooting's in the bag, but I think, I mean, right. maybe there will, maybe there will be um, studio shooting still to come, who knows? But yeah, that's, I think everyone's assuming. But in general, the fact that Britain has these powerhouse studios, these lavish facilities, huge big sound stages, etc., where you can, all of this stuff has to be filmed somewhere. I think, it, I think it, it's, you know, if I was a young, if I was a young, younger person and we wanted to get into the creative industry somewhere, I would definitely say to people, TV, find something you like doing, you're interested in doing in TV because it is just exploding still and I don't think there was any signs of it slowing down. Well a lot of that investment from Amazon and from Netflix is because they've pretty much run out of space haven't they they've they've got to they've got to create this room to ensure that their flow of material can can be filmed. It's a classic supply demand issue you know there is so much content being commissioned right now as the different platforms struggle to stand out that obviously you know Places like Pinewood and Shepparton are cleaning up, which is great. Uh, and there, it looks like they're going to even build more. I mean, just to give you some numbers on this, uh, the top eight media groups, that means Disney, Netflix, Amazon Prime, a bunch of others, are planning to spend $115 billion on new movies and, and TV shows just this year. Just this year, okay? And much of that's in scripted drama, right? Which, of course, is why they need wonderful studio space and much of this is for their streaming services because again it's it's about it's a game it's a it's an arms race right now the content arms race we've heard it before this is just part of it uh and you know luckily the uk which of course has a booming creative economy has incredible talent on its shores uh is cleaning up on this and and well as they should in my opinion what's interesting though is it's not just going to be in the uk we're starting to see an appetite across um, different kinds of, you know, German language drama and French. And I mean, look at Squid Game. That's not from Europe. And so it's, it's really interesting that we're going to see there's more and more demand that's happening. And that means more and more places or studios are going to have to be built. So I think we're going to see this happening in a lot of different countries. It's just that the UK is sitting in a very good place right now. 
And Amazon, of course, as Boyd said, has a very different business model than anybody else. But the fact that they're actually investing in studio space shows that, you know, this video thing that they started just to sell more shoes and toilet paper uh, is, you know, actually something that they want to lean into. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, but, you know, it's a very different business model. I mean, Amazon just released their advertising revenue for the first time, split it out. They they had $31 billion in advertising revenue just in 2021. $31 billion, just in ad revenue. Okay, that's not including the Prime, Amazon Prime subscriptions, right? Amazon's ad model is bigger than all newspapers around the world combined. Pretty much. I mean, the thing that you have to think about the way advertising is going, and that's, of course, another big topic, but you know, the way it's, the, the advertising business is growing obviously faster in the digital side than it is in the, in the, in, in the analog side, in the print side. Um, and that's for obvious reasons. But, you know, we still have the big guys control it. You know, it's Facebook and Google, essentially. But Amazon is nipping at their heels as well. So it's, you know, and that's obviously the other model. You know, yes, s has been great, but advertising is really important in this whole streaming business as well. So, Boyd, are you going to have to cope with watching all of these new series that are about to, to come off the line? And also, I heard, I saw, I think HBO have just announced their first Finnish commission. Have you got to cover it all now? English, non, non-UK, non, non-English non language stuff as well. Can you cope? Uh, just about, yeah. I think it's a good thing. I'm happy with it. I think, I mean, it is, there are more and more, I mean, there are, every week now, there are five, six, seven, sometimes brand new scripted shows arriving on the streaming services and you know bbc and itv and channel four and out channel five are, are also expanding there as far as i'm aware expanding their drama offerings so yeah there's a lot to deal with but you know i think it's fantastic and as you know since i've got have a, a, a podcast where we review tv every week um uh, bring it on absolutely i was I heard you talking about station 11 which i think is um a brilliant a brilliant series mm. but as you mentioned it's sort of it's hard to work out where some of these things oh. are because it was obviously yes. a hbo show so you sort of think it's going to be on sky but actually uh, it's on uh, what's it on it's on a uh, it's on an amazon it's on stars channels provide stars, stars play, play which yeah. is a channel you're right on amazon it is really confusing yeah i mean part of you know my job is to explain these things to people but it is confusing just, just we just recorded an episode today about pilot tv podcast and there's a show there's a peacock show a peacock commission nbc streaming service that is ending up on um on netflix here I mean, it's really, it's it's bizarre and bewildering. Why isn't it on the Peacock version of Peacock that's going to be on Sky here? You know, why is it on all of these things? But it's, the fact is, there are there's more and more of it. But I'm I I, I can't um, be annoyed about that because the more and the astonishing amount of it is pretty bloody good as well. Mm. The level, you know, you know, the minimum level of quality of TV now has never been stronger. I think that's true. I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily saying everything's brilliant. But the minute you have to achieve a minimum technical level of quality now, I think, and then beyond that, most of them have pre- are pretty fairly decently written and sometimes brilliantly written. But there's definitely a much higher bar to um, getting on TV. Do you think commissioners, sort of say from the 70s, 80s, 90s, early noughties, were commissioners actually getting in the way of good stuff being made? And now if you have like yeah. infinite money and then you just have sort of script after script after script, was the whittling process actually done quite badly up to now? Yeah, I think so. I think you, you, if you took to writers particularly, you know, a few years back, yeah, and, you know, they would pitch stuff to the old school channels, if you like, the linear, old school linear, linear channels, and they would often be told things like, oh, we've already got a comedy about 
gay people or something, you know, be like as if you can only have one of those a year now. Well, I think the streamers are teaching them not to worry about, you know, having covering the same subject matter, because as long as it's from a different point of view and it's a different story, it's fine. And it's the quality that matters in the end. And, you know, I think I think actually that has had a huge influence on the old on the BBCs and ITVs and Channel 4s of this world. Who are, well, I think they are being bolder and more daring with their commissions and just, you know, on one level, commissioning more of it. You know, there's pretty much a new one or two, sometimes three, four new dramas starting most weeks on ITV, BBC channel four and five now so it's all it's all very exciting kate last word from you well so i agree with you that you know obviously there's a lot more being commissioned and that obviously the broadcasters are having to be bolder and maybe take a little more risk but i i disagree that the, the you know the the controllers of old were you know turning stuff down because they were you know for whatever reason there was limited bandwidth void i mean in other words you know they were they had a oh, couple yeah. of channels you know, the, the whole ecosystem sure. has completely changed. So, you know, it's all well and good to say, oh, the old commissioners didn't know what they were doing. I disagree. It was a very different environment. I think what we've got now is a very dynamic and actually quite scary environment for the broadcasters because they're trying to figure out where they fit into this new model. And it's, you know, it's about, you know, well, we have to have it on our channel, but we can't afford it if we're bidding against, you know, Netflix and Amazon and whoever else wants to get this commission. Because we don't have the money, uh, you know. So there's a. It's a really difficult. You know, you've got your co-productions. It's not like the old. It's the old system was so much easier. <laughs> you know, you sort of commission something. You go down to MIPCOM. The guys would get their syndication deals. Bob's your uncle. Everybody was happy. Now it's like, boy, you've got to be quick off the mark to get the good stuff. You've got to figure out the money really fast so that you don't get gazumped. And you've got to figure out if you know if those are the right things. And if it's wrong. You have to not recommission it. So I think it's a much more complicated and dynamic space. And maybe it takes a new kind of commissioner. But I think that, that it's just a new it's just a new business model. Well, if you're an old commissioner listening and want to defend your 80s, 90s commissions, uh, get in touch, Twitter, the media podcast. Um, another big issue for streamers and broadcasters, sustainability. Uh, you may have noticed on the end title to a number of British shows, including The One Show, uh, the logo for Albert. But what is an Albert certification and what role do the creative industries have to play in the fight against climate change? Here's director of Albert, Karis Taylor, to tell us more. It's one of a couple of carrots that we offer, really, to help the industry sort of feel incentivized to do this. And it's to, to sort of wear it as a badge of honor that they've um, not only measured their footprint, a carbon footprint, but they've adopted a certain set of practices and which have been evidenced to my team. So I'm making a TV show. I'm making the um, media podcast spin off. It's going to be a massive Netflix hit. Do you tell me what I have to do or is it me checking my show or is it before or afterwards? Where does it fit into that that production process? So in terms of the certification process, it's really Mm. important that that starts pre-production, partly so that you know what the requirements are for the certification, but also so that you can do projected forecasted carbon footprint so you can see where the impacts are so often um, when we're speaking to people even just down the pub um, say you know that people say oh I'm doing my bit I'm doing recycling and it's a really interesting learning curve I think when you do your own carbon footprint where you see the impacts are you know plastic waste is absolutely something we need to address but in terms of carbon footprint it's pretty minor and the impacts are in energy in transport and then materials and so on utility is really really important though and so doing a kind of forecasted carbon footprint 
our online tool provides you with a kind of pie chart to show you where all of those impacts are. And you can take a view then on, all oh, right, okay, well, these are the areas we need, need to look at. Then we ask you to complete a carb carbon action plan. And this is where there's a set of basically quali qualitative um, questions asking you whether you will do certain things like issuing a green memo. Not all of them are mandatory. Some of them are prompts to help you to think about that there is the opportunity to do this. Will you switch to green, uh, to green electricity? Will you switch to using LEDs and so on? Most of those are mandatory, but there are some questions that aren't. And one of the questions um, that we don't have to answer yes to is around editorial. Are you thinking about your audience? Are you thinking about the message? Mm. It's really, really important that we don't dictate to this industry how to do their job. They're the experts. They know how to do it. And they're the creatives as well. Um, and editorial independence is, of course, very precious. And we would want to do nothing to erode that. But it's your, it's your desire to, to prompt shift and, and change. Yeah. And, and, and help people to consider it. I was just going to pick up on that. Because if you're a production manager, maybe the first time that you're, you're there to sort of do this and you kind of log on to do the form, I guess you've probably been told, hey, we've got to do this thing. And you might sort of go, oh, all right, then let's let, all right, log on first time to see what it is but does the prompting change how people think about it for future things that they that they make is it having a, a big impact on the broader way they think about their shows I would say it's um kind of a means to an end right we don't want to be doing this forever mm. and in fact it would be my ideal that we're redundant people kind of get it and they switch and over time it's reduced in impacts to, to zero and we do see that zero series on series as people return to us their impacts have come down partly because you know, a second series, they can reuse sets and props mm. and costumes that they had previously. So that's that's helpful, reusing stuff. But they have learned as well where those impacts mm. are and they've made the changes um, inherently up front. And in time, we're going to have to transition to, to make sure that we're accounting for that a bit more mm. and moving things further. This first bit of activity and kind of doing the monitoring, the organisation does broader things and there's the climate content pledge now. Explain that, what's this stage uh, of the process? So this was a really exciting piece of work. We worked to sort of convene, but it's sort of not our pledge, it's the industry's pledge. We announced it, we support the announcement of it at COP26 last year. It seemed a pertinent time to land it. Um, and it was 12 of the biggest broadcasters and SVOD providers in, in the UK and Ireland coming together to commit to kind of weaving messaging around climate change and sustainability in all kinds of contents so this isn't about more natural history documentaries or more news or more doom and gloom that's really important it's about meeting audiences wherever they're watching their content whatever content that is and thinking about the opportunity within that to you know provide a message about the solutions or the issues that we're facing here i'd say as well there's a there's a point in this that's like inevitably if you're talking about say houses or <laughs> a travel or um, purchases or basically just being a human being in modern society you're sending a signal <laughs> one way or another about climate change and sustainability and so it's thinking about having that responsibility and, and what you're referring to in that and how you're signaling which way you're going to fall um, and it's going it's going to affect everyone so we have to reach everybody and we have to bring them on the journey with us it's not about hectoring it's not about dictating the solutions it's about enabling the conversation basically and are there any examples of where people have sort of are now thinking more about it and are changing what they put into their shows or into storylines of, of, of fiction 
when prompted, what have the broadcasters sort of started doing and thinking about themselves? I think there's there's loads of examples. I mean, there's loads of examples historically of where this industry has sort of stepped up when there's been a social issue and we've had to hit mm. it head on or subtly nudge behaviours towards the right direction. So um, in the 80s, there was the sitcom Cheers. And mm. in the US, they had a major issue with drink driving and drink driving related fatalities. And it... it um, Cheers popularised the the phrase the designated driver by weaving that into their storylines. We're doing this for ages, but more recently, HBO Succession had the storyline of someone disinheriting their grandson and and get, leaving money to Greenpeace in their will. And I understand yes. from I think it was a Guardian article that twenty two thousand people then went online to see if they could do the same themselves. I mean, <laughs> there are these direct. Um, references and and proof points where you can say, well, yeah, actually, we do have a major responsibility and a major platform which shifts behaviour quite considerably. That was Karis Taylor. You can find out more at wearealbert.com. And if you work in media, you know that it's hard to get people to understand that they need to pay for the content they enjoy. And just like your TV show or radio program, this podcast doesn't magically come together. And we do actually like to pay the people who do the hard work putting it all together too. To help us do that, if you can afford it, I would encourage you to become a supporter by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash mediapod. Each week, our Patreons get exclusive content as well. So this week, you can hear an even deeper dive with Karis, where we discuss how Hollywood is tackling their carbon impact. An extra 15 minutes of insight. Um, and it's all available right now. So be a good person and get rewarded by signing up at patreon.com slash mediapod. Get more from Karis and get more from previous interviews as well uh, at patreon.com slash mediapod. And we'll be back with more media news and, of course, our weekly quiz after this. The media podcast heartily endorses our recording software, Riverside, and in turn, they're supporting the making of this show. We've been using Riverside to record the media podcast for over a year now, because what it gives you as the producer is absolute power. You want to turn off echo cancellation? Easy, just one button. You want to record lossless audio quality? It does that too. And HD video? It's there at the flick of a switch. Plus, it's all uploaded in real time, and the backup feature means you don't have to worry about your guest's bandwidth. High quality, reliable audio and video recording, what's not to like? Now, Riverside is used by brands from Microsoft to TED Talks, Marvel to the New York Times, but more importantly, by this show. To give it a go, head to riverside.fm and use the code MEDIAPOD for $15 off any Riverside subscription. There's a link to it in the show notes as well. That's riverside.fm with the code MEDIAPOD for $15 off. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. Boyd and Kate are still with me and it's time for some media news in brief. Jimmy Carr's comedy special on Netflix first aired at Christmas and has been watched by over 2 million people. Uh, that was before clips emerged on social media of some of its content, leading to Ofcom chair Dame Melanie Dawes reigniting talk of regulating streaming services. Uh, Kate, did you see what Melanie said about uh, diving into regulating people like Netflix? Yeah, I mean, this isn't new. Uh, she's been talking about this for a while, and Ofcom's been looking at this for a while, as have a lot of other regulators uh, across the world, And indeed. It's not easy stuff. Um, you know, how do you regulate a global platform that's, you know, you know, with jurisdiction? What she said now, of course, specifically about Netflix, is that they are based not in the UK. So they are not subject to UK regulation. So even if she put some regulation on it, you know, they don't have to abide by because they're not based in the UK. Uh, so how does that work? It seems to me it's a, quite a big gnarly issue because, A, how do you do it? Who does it? Do you have to have some kind of UN of regulators, you know what I mean, United Nations of regulators that work together to make this work? Because these are global platforms, right? So what she would like to do is say, okay, if you're, if you're distributing and something is airing or streaming in the UK, we, Ofcom, should have some kind of right to say yes or no in terms of, of what you can do there. It's going to be very hard to control. We just talked about um, earlier about how many services there are out there. How do you, how do you actually keep your, how do you, who watches all this stuff, right? So that's one problem. The other problem is, what is the taste level? I mean, there is, a, there is an argument to be had that broadcast television is different from streaming. Now, of course, what we're seeing now is that the streaming channels are ending up on our big TV in our lounges because we're having all these apps or getting on our connected TV devices, blah, blah, blah. So what is the difference between a broadcast, you know, view and a, a, a streaming view that you might be watching on your phone or on your tablet? That's becoming more fuzzy. So, you know, it's, it's a big dilemma, but I think it's something that we actually should think about. How do you regulate them? What do you regulate them? And then I think you need to have some, I mean, I think this is a brilliant idea. I think you should tax these people to a certain extent and say, look, if you're putting stuff into our country, you know, we should get a bit of that revenue and we can put it back into our own services, either our TV production services, our film production services, or even our regulation services, because they're going to need to ramp up to regulate these guys if that's if that's going to happen. Interesting. I think like last week, Denmark said that they're going to introduce like a 5% levy on streaming subscriptions in that country to, to support mm -hmm. um, local production. Um, obviously, regulators kind of like to regulate. Um, in the US, where, where you are, Kate, the cable companies 
weren't under the same restrictions that broadcast was under kind of FCC rules. So if you're on cable, you sort of were able to be a bit freer. Shouldn't it be the same with, with streamers? You know, you're, it's very much lean forward. You know, it's not like you happen to watch a thing. You're choosing to subscribe. You're choosing to watch a program, choosing to consume it. Doesn't that make a different regulatory environment? I don't think so. No, I think that because all of this content is showing up on the big screen in the living room, I think that if you want to have some kind of regulation, Otherwise, you just get rid of all regulation. You say Channel 4 or BBC, you don't have to be regulated either. I mean, you know, I mean, what's the difference? They would argue that, I mean, even historically, maybe this changes going forward. You know, public broadcasters are on public spectrum. Yeah, but they're not, Matt. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. They're not now, right? How many people are actually getting... Well, they're still on Freeview. Okay, fine. They're on Freeview. But do you see what I'm saying? The, the, it's getting much more fuzzy, yeah. right? It's not like you can very easily say, okay, this is this is public service and this is not public service. Yeah, but how many people know the difference? Do you see what I mean? And there was a view. Well, it doesn't matter. It's, di- it's different. Okay, are you saying, do you want podcast regulated as well? What I'm saying is that there should be basic rules about every kind of media and content. There are laws. There are laws. Yeah. Right, exactly. And okay. Netflix does not abide by any of these laws and neither does Amazon. Well, they have to abide by the law. Um, they have to abide, I'm talking laws, not regulation. Well, okay. I mean, we're getting into the fine grass here. The point is, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you try to regulate them, it's going to be difficult because it's, it's, a, huge, it's a huge thing, all right? So my, my opinion would be they should have basic operating standards like laws, like defamation and incite to violence, all that kind of stuff. That should definitely be there. And you have to enforce that, which is going to be hard, by the way, because it also is like, you know, what is something that's insightful to violence? Right. I mean, we just we just got through this whole thing with, you know, what was Joe Rogan saying? Was it was it actually I mean, anti-vaccine stuff? Is that against the public health? Well, many would argue it is. But the other thing is, I think that it'd be it'd be much better to basically say, okay, you are getting access to our, you know, audiences. Right. So let's at least tax them to get something back so i i'm with denmark on this so i think oh, yeah, I, I like the taxing I idea i like i like that, yeah, yeah i think that's where i yeah, go i agree Picking up on advertising, um, the Chris Evans Breakfast Show on Virgin Radio announced it's going to introduce an innovative new feature, um, ad breaks. Uh, Crazy for radio. Now, the show previously had an exclusive uh, sponsorship deal with Sky. Um, Now, uh, that's probably come to an end. It's three years into Chris Evans' sort of term at Virgin. Um, Do you think, Kate, it was a shrewd move back in 2019 to sort of entice Radio 2 listeners over by having no ads? Has it maybe done its job? Well, yeah, I mean, they had, quote, no spot ads, but remember they had a sponsor. Sky, yes, Sky made a decision to do that, and they thought, well, you know, Chris Evans is a pretty good property. Let's use him as a vehicle to get to raise awareness for Sky. These are just a, this is just a normal operating procedure. I think more interesting is how is Chris's show uh, developing? You know, I mean, he's been at this game for a long time, and, you know, what, you know, how does, how does a Chris Evans show stand out as, you know, Boyd has talked about podcasting? I mean, there's so much competition now in audio. Well, that's a good question. Boyd, have you heard um, the Chris Evans Breakfast Show in recent months? Have you been tuning around um, at all? I had to listen especially for this uh, podcast. Oh. Um, the first time. First time. I'm, I'm a, you know, obviously I'm a Bauer Media employee, so I listen to Magic <laughs> or, you know, um, <laughs> one of his rivals. Um, but, that's right. But having said that, Grace Radio, guys. <laughs> never. Never. Never listen to BBC Radio either. 
Um, <laughs> uh, but it is. He, I think it is interesting how he's kind of that, that whole the zoo format, and you know, making fun of the sports guy Vassos, and um, I don't know. I found it a bit much to take. I have to say, it was very. You know, I mean, I am old. I'm an old man, but it, I mean, it's, I mean, so are they. I mean, so is he. I guess. So, so is he. most 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 of his audiences. <laughs> Most of his audience is 35, 54 for that show. Really? So it That's is, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is an older audience. I mean, I did find it a bit exhausting, I have to say. Yeah. And mm. I was like, please, you know, give me, give me more, give me more magic, as I say. But that's just my personal opinion. But I do, I think he's, I mean, I've always admired him. I think he's an absolute powerhouse. But uh, yeah, the show is, I, I found, I found a bit much. Did you notice uh, the Sky mentions uh, versus, because they haven't Only... quite introduced the ads yet. No, only because I was especially listening because I knew we were mm. discussing the topic. But do you know, I think commercial radio. Do you know what? A genuine. This is. I'm not just saying this because I'm a Bauer re- employee. But if you're listening to commercial radio, you just kind of expect there to be a certain number of ads. You just kind of get mm. used to it. You know. They, they, so mm-hmm. it's never. It's not really an issue for me. I don't. You know. It's amazing that it's lasted this long. To be honest, with only having those Sky that Sky sponsorship. The BBC are calling for more factual entertainment formats that dare to be mischievous, according to Catherine Catton, its head of factual entertainment commissioning. Um, I've always been a bit down on fact ent, uh, and then I was kind of having, I was sort of having a look through, I was having a look through the Barb numbers, and actually, rather annoyingly, fact ent does pretty well. Um, Boyd, I mean, the BBC have announced a new slate of shows this week. Um, fact ent still does pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah, because it includes, you know, the Great British. Um, dot 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 all those all those great British things which are still British yeah, bake off pottery you know, doing, slow down yeah, yeah. <laughs> sewing, sewing bee sewing I mean bee. how many are there um, it is a reminder remember W1A you know that, that they used to have fake great British things which are probably half which would have come true since W1A aired it's hard to satirise um, I'm I'm a fan of those shows I have to say um, and I think they do it's interesting that things like The Apprentice came back this is, is on at the moment after a break I do feel like that show feels quite tired to me i have to say you know it's, it's a little bit trying a little bit too hard in the face of having been away for a long time and i mean it's still a top five bbc one show though isn't it is it a top five yeah BBC that doesn't surprise show? me it, it doesn't mm. surprise me because it's a brilliant format you know it's a brilliantly compelling format and it's fun it's still funny but you because you've got this bunch of absolute doofuses taking part in this ridiculous um, business format and trying to trying to pretend that they're they're business geniuses um, and they're absolutely ridiculous figures. So one thing that, that did strike me about uh, Faction Entertainment and we talked about streamers already are Fact End shows. Uh, and like Repair Shop, there's obviously another popular one kind of at the moment as well. Um, is it a sort of legacy of broadcast? Like, are these shows going to transfer over to, to streamers or are people into streamers for drama and comedy and film? Boyd, what, what do you think? I think the streamers seem keen on, on going into that world. I mean, they've got Too Hot to Handle, the dating show on Netflix does pretty well for them, as I understand it. I mean, you know, Netflix figures are what you have to take them with a pinch of salt, but, but they, they say it does well. And I know they're doing... I know they've got a slate of a few more. They had that one with the masks, which was originally a BBC Three show, the dating show where people wear ridiculous animal masks. And they've got another thing coming up about dating in a snowy, which I can't remember the name of. But anyway, so they're, they're, they're getting into it. But I mean, I think that's almost because I think they feel like they have to try everything, you know, the streaming mm. services. So they have to try sport, live sport. You know, Amazon's done pretty well with its football coverage, I think. So it feels to me more like they have to try. I'm not sure it's the core. I still don't think it's their core offering because one of the, because one of the, the thing about Netflix is still they consider their USP to be dropping entire series of things in one go, 
which works absolutely for them with drama and comedy. But it is a bit of a problem with with Fat Dent because do you really want to watch eight episodes of Too Hot to Handle a dating show? Do you want to binge on that in one go? Or is the joy of those shows, you know, Love Island, keeping up with it day after day and as a communal viewing experience? I think that is a tough one for them. Binge watch and also, and also global as well. Well, the thing I want to convert into a big global format hit is the media quiz. Um, <laughs> this week, it's entitled Ransom. Uh, I'm going to give you three headlines it's... where programs are facing the axe this week, all with their crucial media property missing. So you need to tell me the missing word or words. You'll get it as we go. Don't worry. Uh, there's three rounds. You can buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Boyd will say... Boyd? Good. And Kate, you will say... Kate? <laughs> Let's play Ransom. Uh, right. What threatens closure in the EU over data? Boyd. Kate. Boyd. Um, Facebook. Basically, there's a lot of data issues about, obviously, Facebook loves nothing more than to sweeping up our data, basically. And there are European data laws that are challenging and, and, and challenging their whole business model, basically, as I understand it. Yeah, the privacy shield, which mm. is what they have been using, is being re renegotiated. And so Netflix processes all the data in US servers, right? So the problem is, if the EU says you can't process the data for Europeans in US servers, you know, Instagram, Facebook can't function. So actually, I when I was reporting this story, I, I asked Facebook, I said, what's the deal? And, you know, because Facebook has a headquarters in Dublin, for example, why couldn't they do it there? No, 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 all our technologies in the, in the States. So basically, they're negotiating with the EU to try to remake the, the privacy laws that have already been in place, but have been let's say, are under a certain amount of reformulation to try to make sure that they have the right rules so they can continue to process all the data in the U.S. I mean, I think, in, in, and I think the headlines about this are, have been a bit overblown, to be honest. I don't think they're going to close down Instagram and Facebook. I think it's a negotiating ploy. Okay, number two, <laughs> question number two. Uh, what, was, what was axed from Channel 5 uh, this week? Boyd. Kate. <laughs> Boyd, I'm I think trying. you just you just pipped Kate there. Neighbours. I'm cruelly axed by Channel Five after all these years. Yeah. Although I think still think it might someone else might find the money to give it to stay its execution. But yes. Yeah, home and away home and away, because they have them both back to back. Mm. Um Home and Away they seem to be fine with, but Ramsey Street, they just have a thing against Erinsborough. It's it's gone now. Maybe yeah. may, maybe maybe like Paul Robinson's doing the deal and and he fell out with uh, with Viacom bosses. Maybe that's what it was. Obviously. Oh, I think yeah. it's about cost. Isn't they... it about cost? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It would be quite the show to try and binge watch on Netflix, mm. that's for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, final question. Question number three. Um, the BBC have pulled what episode? Are you aware of this? The BBC pulled an episode of something. Kate's not sure. Boy, I'm giving Kate you... as long as I can before I, I step <laughs> I, in. I don't actually know um, the answer no, to this part, one. She's so. passing. Sorry. I knew the other two. Uh, do you know what? I've forgotten the name of the show, but it's a local news show on the BBC which featured a, and in quotes, 
a young entrepreneur who'd made millions out of Bitcoin or whatever it's called, or mm. that kind of you know world of um, of uh, what I like to call crypto. fake money, crypto. Thank you. Oh god, I'm sounding so old. Crypto. It's embarrassing. Crypto. But yeah, but there's I think there's some question mark over how just quite how this guy you know. Oh, I remember this story. Yes. This story yeah, is it. about um, this story is about the guy whose business suddenly shut down, and here it was featured on a BBC show, PSP Broadcasting. And his, then they found out his business had been shut down for whatever reason. I mean, crypto businesses yeah, are growing like yeah, crazy, it, it, but, you know, they're all a bit, it's a little bit crazy at the moment. I mean, it's the interesting one. This is We Are England, which was the sort of inside out replacement uh, on the BBC. I mean, sort of rags to riches crypto stories seem quite attractive to write about. Hey, it's fun. It's millions of dollars. Uh, but I think, you know, friend of the show, Jim Waterson, was just basically Googling uh, the guy and Googling his coin that he created and just suggested on Twitter that maybe this seems a bit dodgy. And within about an hour, the BBC had cancelled the programme. And so if it, I'm not saying it was Jim that entirely did it, but oh. the fact he seemingly managed <laughs> this in five minutes is a slight worry isn't it Boyd it's the power of Jim Waterson absolutely who I've been on this podcast with and um, the power essentially of the media podcast then really isn't it yeah yeah that is that absolutely we're ready to go into format worlds great well you can you can, I, I want to be on HBO Max that's that's my big tip I think HBO Max I think the media quiz could do do very well though it needs UK fact ent uh, and that means uh, our winner of the media quiz is Boyd, three for three. Uh, well done. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Uh, my thanks to Kate Bulkley and Boyd Hilton. Um, Kate, where can people find you? Uh, I'm at, on Twitter. Yes. I'm at, at Kate Comments. And I also write for Broadcast Magazine. I'm a commentator. And Boyd, how can people keep up with your writing? Uh, at Boyd Hilton um, on Twitter and um, Instagram and everything. Um, weekly in Heat Magazine, sometimes in Empire Magazine, monthly I'm contributing editor, and the Pilot TV podcast. Sorry. Uh, available. And for the Arsenal, your... my Arsenal podcast. Can't miss that. Uh, both of those available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode, uh, show she mean it by doing any or all of these things. You can tell your colleagues about the show on Twitter or LinkedIn. You can take out a Riverside.fm trial using the code MEDIAPOD and become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash MEDIAPOD. And of course, just like Boyd's podcasts, you can follow ours too in all of the regular podcast places or subscribing at podfollow.com slash the media podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Deegan. You can find my weekly newsletter about the audio industry at mattdeegan.com. The producer of the show was Matt Hill with support from Phoebe Adler-Ryan. It was a Rethink Audio production. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.